place. Thank you that um, we can sit comfortably with lots of room, that the sun is shining, there's places to go and sit outside. And thank you, Lord, that you um, have provided this for us. Father, we are here to, um, to know more about you and to, um, and to know more about your great love that you have for us and um, what that does to us and how it, uh, how it moves us on and lifts us up and all of those wonderful things. And we can't learn anything, Lord, unless your Holy Spirit takes the words and makes them real in our hearts. So I pray for every single person here. I pray that everything that is going on outside, in, in their lives outside, in my life outside, would be left outside, Lord God, and that now and for this day we could concentrate on hearing your voice and being changed by the hearing. I thank you, Lord, that your word is alive, it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and I praise you that it will cut through bone and marrow and reach our hearts. And I thank you, Lord, that in the cutting there will be such sweet joy. So I praise you, Lord, for what you will say and what you are doing, and I ask you, Lord, to take this day and use it for your glory. Amen. Amen. Um, <clears throat> the title of today is Highly Esteemed and Greatly Loved, and the title came from a scripture in Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, verse 23. If you've got a Bible, if you haven't got a Bible, you'll need one, so <coughs> shout out, because we've got, hopefully we've got a couple of spares here. Daniel 9, verse 23. And um, uh, at the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued. Well, actually, I'll go back to verse 20. Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Daniel has been praying all the way through chapter 9. You read Daniel's prayer, and uh, he's been reading in the book of Jeremiah, in the prophecy of Jeremiah, he had been reading that God had decreed a length of time for the... Um, exile of Israel in Babylon. He had decreed 70 years and Daniel has been in captivity 70 years. He is roughly 86 now, 85, 86 years old and he is still praying and he has read this prophecy in Jeremiah and he knows that soon, very soon, the Israelites are going to be allowed to go back to the land of Israel uh, out of the captivity that they've been in for 70 years. And so because he's reading about that, he starts to pray, and, and Daniel chapter 9 is his prayer. It's a fabulous prayer. Um, and what he's doing is he is uh, aligning himself with what God has already said. And that's, uh, to me, quite an amazing thing, actually, to understand. I mean, what, was, what would be the point of asking God to do something that he's already said he would do? 
That's the question, really. Why would Daniel spend a whole of this, well, weeks? He's been praying for weeks. And it says, in my extreme weariness. So he's been praying and praying and praying. He's 86 year, years old. Some of us are closer to that than others. Although, obviously, I'm a long way from 86. But um, he's been praying and praying and praying. And he has been at, he's literally been praying back to God what God has already said he would do. And why would he do that? That's the question. So that was my first question. Why is Daniel praying what God has already said? Why is he asking God for what God has already promised? Why is he doing that? And then the second thing that started me, gave me the title and started me off was, Gabriel came to him and said, from the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued. I was sent to you right at the beginning. You were heard right at the beginning of your prayer. And I have been sent to you to give you understanding. And the reason I've been sent to you is because you are highly esteemed. And so I wanted to know two things. Why does Daniel pray for something that God has already promised? Why does he have to do that? And why is he called highly esteemed? What about Daniel would cause God to send a messenger to him and say, I'm going to give you insight because you are highly esteemed. And um, it's obvious as you read through Daniel's prayer in, in Daniel chapter 9, we're not going to do that, that Daniel knows God. He knows him. And actually, if, you, if you've read the book of Daniel, you'll know that Daniel has, uh, was taken captive when he was about 15, 16. He was taken from Jerusalem to Babylon, uh, which was obviously um, the empire at the time. Nebuchadnezzar took him and his armies took him captive. He was almost certainly castrated and he was put into the service of the emperor, Nebuchadnezzar, which meant that he had to adhere to their rules, he had to eat their foods, he had to do what they told him. And so Daniel, what, what you get in the book of Daniel, apart from all the prophecy about end times, which everyone is really interested in, what you get is the picture of a young man whose circumstances are terrible, who decides really early on that come what may, I am trusting my God. Come what may, I am deciding to go with God. And I think that's really important because life doesn't always work out the way we think it will. And actually, most of the time, especially as you go on in life, as you, as you get older, what you find is most of the circumstances of our lives are beyond our control. <laughs> Someone does something or says something or something happens and we are there in the maelstrom, as it were, just having to, to have all the circumstances hit us from nowhere. Most of the time they come out of nowhere and you, you suddenly think, how has that happened? What, what, what's happening? And you have no way of changing the circumstances. I could probably talk to every single person in this room and you would give me an example of that. That somehow your life has not turned out the way you thought it would and that your circumstances, whilst at the moment they're good enough for you to have come here, your circumstances are not what you have, would have chosen. And that's Daniel. That's Daniel. Daniel's life is at the extreme end of that. It says in, uh, uh, 
in the, in the book of First Chronicles, Second Kings and First Chronicles, it talks about Nebuchadnezzar coming against Israel. And it says he, he comes three times. There are three sieges of Jerusalem. And in the first siege, um, Daniel is taken with his friends. And what it says is that Nebuchadnezzar takes the best. He takes the noble sons. He takes the handsome. He takes the young. He takes the strong. And he takes them back, and the very best of that group he puts into service in his own temple. And as I say, he, they're all castrated, almost certainly all those young men are castrated. Can you really imagine anything much worse for a young man? And here is Daniel, and what we see right from the beginning is that Daniel made choices based on his knowledge of God. Right from the beginning. He, he didn't have to get there and suddenly say, oh God, what am I going to do? Who are you? Where are you? I don't know you. Daniel already knew God. And so he already knew how to make the choices that would actually see him through. And as you read through the book, Daniel chapter 2, <coughs> he uh, prays because Nebuchadnezzar has a vision and he wants it explained. And if, if, the, uh, if they can't explain it to him, he's going to have them all killed. So Daniel prays and God gives him understanding of the vision that Nebuchadnezzar has. So God answers the prayers of Daniel. He gives him understanding. He gives him wisdom. You read Daniel chapter 1 and you will read that God blessed Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He blesses them with wisdom and understanding and even gives to Daniel the understanding of visions. So um, what you read is that all the way through this book, Daniel trusts God and because he trusts God, he, he does what he knows is right all the way through. Now the problem is when you read the book of Daniel and you read that he's highly esteemed, you start to think, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble because I don't always do that. You know, and certainly only coming to faith as I did, you know, as a 40-year-old, I had a lot of time when I didn't know God. And so I, as you go on and you start to learn about God, you're facing situations that you didn't face when you were young, like Daniel did. And so you are kind of looking around. And I'm not sure, I thought to myself as I was reading this, I'm not sure that God would send an angel to me and say, I've come to give you understanding and wisdom because you are highly esteemed. In the book of Daniel, it's easy to see that he's highly esteemed because he does the right thing all the time. He always does the right thing. What about you? What about me? When I look in the mirror, I don't see someone who does the right thing all the time. I see someone who doesn't always do the right thing, who doesn't always pray instantly, who doesn't always trust that God will show up, who doesn't always know exactly what the next step is in the situation I'm in. So I wanted to know what was it particularly about Daniel? And what is it about being highly esteemed? So the first thing I did, which is what I always do, I look up what does the word mean? What does it mean, highly esteemed? And that was really a bit of a shock because I found that the word highly esteemed means greatly loved. It means greatly loved it means precious, it means costly, and it means something that is longed for or really desired. And that completely changed my understanding 
of what God was saying to Daniel. God wasn't saying to Daniel, you've done the right thing all the time. You've always hit the nail on the head. You've kept these rules. You've done it all right. Therefore, you've gone up the ladder. What God was saying to Daniel is, I love you so much. You are so precious to me. You are so costly. I would pay anything for you. Therefore, I am going to give you. I'm going to bless you with understanding and with wisdom. And again, I looked at myself and thought, is there really anything in me that God would call precious? You know, it makes me want to cry, and it's too early to cry. Is there anything that God would look at and say, well, I love that person. She is so precious, so costly. I would do anything for her. And I saw in myself when I looked at it, I thought, what is there in me that could possibly bring that response from God? And the answer was nothing. Nothing in me could ever come to God and say, look at me, I'm to be greatly loved because I am highly esteemed, because I am precious and costly. And then I thought on about Daniel's prayer and I realised that Daniel knew he was highly esteemed. He knew he was precious to God. He knew already this wasn't a, a statement of something he didn't know. He knew that God thought him precious and costly. And he knew that because of what God had already done in his life. And then I started to think, what has God already done in my life? What has he already done for me? Why would God do what he has done in my life? Not because of me, but because of him. Because of him. Why does God love? Because he is love. Why does he love you? Because he is love. What has he done for you? If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are sitting here today having put your trust in Christ, then he has paid the ultimate price. He has paid, you have been so precious to him that he was willing to pay <coughs> the ultimate price. Daniel already knew that he was greatly loved. And because he knew that, it changed the way he lived. It changed the way he spoke. It changed the way he thought. It changed his choices. It changed his decisions. It changed everything about his life because he totally understood the love of God for him. So I want to look at that today. I want to look at the fact that because Daniel knew God, because Daniel understood that no matter his circumstances, he could trust the God who said that he loved him, 
No matter what happened around him, Daniel based everything on his God. He chose to do everything determined by the fact that God was God. I want to be like that. I want every choice in my life to be based on the fact that God is God and that he has spoken to me. So I want to look at that today and I want to ask us all some questions and the first one is how well do you know your God? Really? And this isn't for, um, you know, this is not a test. You're not going to pass this or fail it. This is really a question, and I think these questions are from God. I have to say, I think they're from God. How well do you know him? How well do you know your saviour? How well do you trust his promises? Do you come to him on the basis of what he's already promised and expect him to do that? There are so many examples in the Old Testament of people who prayed back to God what he had already told them he would do. Exodus, you find Moses. God says, I will go with you. And Moses said, in the very because you have found favour with me. And in the very next breath, so Exodus 33, Moses says, if I found favour in you, you better go with me because there's no point in us going if you don't come too. And God has just said to him, you have found favour with me, so I'm going to go with you. And you just think, what, what, what? Why is Moses praying back that same prayer? In Second Chronicles, when um, Solomon is dedicating the temple that they've just built, he prays, God, when, 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 um, when our people come to you and they confess their sin, will you look down from heaven and forgive their sin and help them? Because God has just in the, in the paragraph before said, if you come to me in this place and you pray and you go humbly before me, I will answer your prayers. Can you see all the way through? I mean, I could pick out loads more. That's 2 Chronicles chapter 7. If all the way through the Old Testament, what you get is the understanding that God makes a promise and his people expect him to answer it. So it's like they're reminding him, you said you'd do this. Now, this is what we need. And that's what Daniel's doing all the time. He's, he's trusting that God will do what God has already promised he will do. So the question is for me and for you, do you trust God to do that? Do you expect him to do that? Because there's something in that that we need to know. And I think that part of it is God has decided that he will work through the promises that we remind him of. If you, you know, we hear a lot about name it and claim it. I'm not talking about name it and claim it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you knowing your God so well that you know his promises. His promises that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. His promises that nothing is impossible for this God. His promise that he will cause all things to work together for your good, for those who love him and called according to his purpose. Do you trust God enough? Do you know him well enough? And do you trust him well enough to come back to him and say, you said, you said that I can do all things through Christ. 
well, I'm struggling to do this. You said your grace is sufficient for me. Well, I am needing that grace. You said nothing is impossible for you. But look at this situation that I'm in. Do you trust God enough? Do you know him well enough to come to him and say, you promised, I believe you. I expect to see that promise fulfilled in my life. That's not you claiming something that you shouldn't. That's you saying, I know that you are God. You are the sovereign, most high God. And anything you say will be done. It's you saying, you've told me if I pray, you're going to answer me. You've told me if I ask for anything in your name, you will give it to me. So I'm asking, do you know your God well enough to do that? Do you, really? Do you know him well enough to expect him to answer? Because that's what he wants. Why would he answer a prayer that you prayed to him based on his promise? Why would he wait for you to pray that prayer? Why? Why doesn't he just do it all? You know, why doesn't he just do it so we don't even have to bother to speak to him? That's the question. Yeah, yeah, because he wants us to speak. He wants us to come to him because as you speak to him, as you come to him on the basis of what he said, you prove to yourself that you believe him. You, you prove to yourself that you trust this invisible God. You prove to yourself that I really am a child of God. I really am a believer in the Lord Jesus. Because look at me. I'm praying to a God I can't see. I'm praying to a God whose voice I can't hear. I'm praying to a God who is invisible and infinite and beyond anything I can imagine. But I know he hears. I know he hears. Do you know God like that? Do you know God like that? Because take it from me, he wants us to know him like that. Do you know? Do I know? that you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus are beloved in Christ. We are highly esteemed. You are highly esteemed if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are precious and costly to God. And he loves you with a love that you can't fathom. And have you experienced the ramifications of that love in your daily life? Do you experience that love? Because God is real and he's alive and we should feel him and hear him and know him and it should be the experience of our life that we know, that we know, that we know, that we know that this God, amazing as it is, this God walks with me. This God lives in me. 
This God cares for me. This amazing, magnificent <coughs> God who flung the stars into space and called them all by name. That God knows me and loves me. And as you start to answer those questions, there are two more. Are you struggling to accept or receive this love of God for you? Have the circumstances of your life made it difficult for you to believe that this God loves you? And have you really understood that the God who loves you loves you because he loves? And his love doesn't change based on your behaviour. His love is constant and infinite and eternal because his love is found in Christ Jesus and that's where you are if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus. Could you turn to um, Romans chapter 7, sorry, Romans chapter 1, and we're going to read um, from verse 1 through to verse 7. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uses two words here that are massively important for us to understand. Um, And not only Paul, God is writing through Paul, God is speaking through Paul. So there are two words I think in here that are so important for us to understand and that that we need to ponder them and meditate on them and think about them um, because they are they are the description of those who are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Second Chronicles chapter 5, verse 17 to 21. Um, Paul will write, God will say through Paul, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And then verse 25, 21, and he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You, if you have put your trust in the Lord Jesus, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone and the new has come. And Paul will say, we don't recognise anyone according to the flesh anymore because we are new creations in Christ Jesus. And here in chapter 1 of Romans, what um, Paul calls that new creation is the called and beloved. He describes that new creation in Christ Jesus as the called and beloved. And that word beloved means exactly the same thing as the Hebrew word did in Daniel, highly esteemed. 
they mean greatly loved. Paul says in, um, in verse 7, or verse 6, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ to all who are beloved of God in Rome. And um, he's, he's, he started with the beginnings of this gospel message in Romans chapter 1. He's telling them the gospel that they have believed. They heard the gospel message which told them they were in rebellion to God. They had walked away from God. Every single person on the planet is in rebellion to God. And God calls every single person on the planet through the gospel message. And he calls and he calls and he calls through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going the wrong way. You're headed for destruction. You need to take my hand. You need to turn around and come back to me. And, and that message is going out. And Paul says here, it went out to all the Gentiles. It went out to all the Gentiles, among whom these Romans are part. And really think about it. That message came to you. You didn't hear it in exactly that way, maybe, but you heard about Jesus. You heard the gospel message that you couldn't get to God, so he came for you. You heard that you were in rebellion. You heard that that rebellion was shown by the sinful acts that you were doing. And somehow, in all of that, you believed. You believed something about that. Did you understand all your sin? Probably not. Probably not. I mean, I'd been a Christian for two years and still thought I was pretty okay. I mean, I wasn't as bad as, you know, Laura here. <laughs> See what I mean? I mean, I, you know, that was the hardness of my thinking about myself. I was a Christian for quite a long time before I understood the depth of my sin, and probably I still haven't understood it fully. But it's not important that you understand every single sin that you've ever done, or every single thing about the depth of your sin, but it's important to know you were going the wrong way, and you had no way of getting back, only that God called you through Jesus. He called you through the gospel message, and you heard, amazing, you heard, and you turned and you put your trust in God's promise that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what he's writing here. He's writing to these Romans and he's going to give them what is the constitution of Christianity, the wholeness of what it means to be a Christian. And it is an amazing 16 chapters. Amazing. And here, right at the beginning, he wants them to know something about themselves. You, because you heard that gospel message and you turned around, you were then and now and forever part of a group of people called the called. You are the called. You are the called not because you heard the call, but because you responded to it by turning around. You are the called. And because you responded to it, God zapped you with life. He gave you new life. <coughs> I mean, really, think about it. All you did was hear a message and turn. Turn. That's all you did. In, that's what repent means. It means to turn around. It means to change your mind. You've repented. You didn't know every sin in the book. You didn't know every sin in you. You didn't know everything that was wrong with you. You didn't have any clue about how deep that sin ran or even that you were in rebellion against God, maybe. 
you thought you were a pretty decent Joe. You were doing okay. But you were going the wrong way and you heard this call and something in you decided to believe the message of the gospel. And when you did, God made you alive together with Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 10. Because of his great love with which he loved us, he made us alive together with Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved. And that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. You turned and he made you alive. He gave you life. John's Gospel says that that's what will happen. And as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You turned and you, in that way, you didn't know you were doing it. You didn't know you were doing it. But you received Christ. You received his life. You received his life by his spirit. Peter will say in First Peter chapter 1, um, he'll say, you were born again, verse 23, by the living and enduring word of God. You heard that word of God in the gospel. You were turned and you were born again through that. And because you did, because you did, God chose to call you beloved. I mean, is there anything more marvellous than that? That he would choose because of your tiny understanding, your little bit of turning, your, your almost forgettable moment, because of that he scooped you up and he made you forever his. And you became a part of that group of people that he will call the called, those who responded to the call of the gospel. And what God did in loving you and calling you has more significance than anything else in this world. You see, you don't see it because you, look, you get up in the morning and you just think, oh my goodness, you know, why am I this age and why do I look like this? And, you know, I need to lose 50 pounds or, well, you know, not 50, but, you know. <laughs> we see that in ourselves. We don't see the reality of who we are in Christ Jesus. We don't. And so we have to make sure that we fill our minds with the truth of who we are who we are as a body of believers is more important than Brexit. It's more important than the refugee crisis. It's more important than Trump and his peace plan for Israel. It is more important than anything else that is happening in this world. Because one day, one day, this motley crew of believers, we are part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom which will one day crush all the other kingdoms of this world and will be physically victorious, physically, in reality, we will see the victory, not just knowing it in our spirits, but we will see that victory. You can't look at yourself, look at yourself. Do you look like a warrior? <laughs> you don't, not to yourself, but to God, to God. He is building you up and making you into the image of Jesus Christ. And he, he, Jesus, is the victor and will have the victory not just in the spiritual realm which we see now, but physically. If you went back to Daniel and you saw Nebuchadnezzar's first dream, I'll go there, you don't have to. He has a dream and Daniel interprets it. And his dream, the first dream of Nebuchadnezzar, is the dream of a great statue. And, he has a, and the head of, it has a head of gold and a chest of silver and a, a 
belly, it says, of bronze and legs of iron and toes of iron and clay. And Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and he can't work out what it means. And then he sees a stone. He sees a stone in his dream. And it's cut without hands, he says. And it's just this stone. And, and it crushes the statue on its feet. And the whole statue comes tumbling down. And Nebuchadnezzar can't understand what that dream is. So he calls all his magicians and all the, the uh, supposed wise men of his day. And he says, tell me what this dream means. And they can't. They don't know. And Daniel prays. Daniel and his three friends, they pray. And God gives him the vision, the understanding of this vision. And he goes to Nebuchadnezzar and he says, you, O Nebuchadnezzar, you, O king, are the head of gold. And after you is going to come another kingdom inferior to you, silver, and then one more, bronze, inferior, and then iron, and, and uh, toes of iron and clay. And in the days of those kings, he says, the stone that is cut with our hands will crush that. And, and the understanding that that stone is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God set up, inaugurated, brought into existence by the Lord Jesus Christ. That will crush that. Now, I just, I'm, only, I'm only going there briefly into Daniel because this is the importance of the body that we belong to. This is the importance. And do, you have to fill your mind with the truth of that because everything in this world will be pulling you away from that truth and will be telling you you're insignificant. What can you do? Look at you. Look at you. What could you possibly do? What could this church do? Because what we're seeing more and more and more is the sidelining of this church, the sidelining of, of Christians. They're, they're making out that they're odd, that they're, some, that they're weird, that they're, that they're too conservative, or they're this or they're that. And they keep talking about this sin. And who understands that? What on earth is sin anyway? I thought that was a chocolate dessert. <laughs> That's what's happening in our world. That's what's happening. And you're being made to feel like a fool because you believe in this God who sent Jesus for you. You're being made to think you're stupid and that you've got the wrong idea. And, and oh, don't be ridiculous. How could that be right? But God all the time is saying, will you trust me? Will you trust my promise? Will you trust that I am the great God who created all things? I sculpted the mountains and I can just as easily remove them. I am God and there is no other. And you, you, if you've put your trust in the Lord Jesus, you belong to me. You belong to me. And we will be victorious. We are already victorious, but we will be victorious. And we will see that with our human eyes. With our human eyes. And God has written it all down. I mean, honestly, really. Do you know, <laughs> look at this book. I mean, I've got a few of them at home. I use this one. It's, it's actually the worst quality one, but it's the lightest. So I use this one when I'm teaching. God wrote every word of this. But if you say that in public, you'll be told that you're a fool. But he wrote it. And when you read it, he makes it real in your life. You hear him speak. I don't mean you hear weird and wonderful voices, but you hear, the, you hear him speak and you know that the God who created all things is actually talking to you. And he has written in this book everything that you and I need to know to be able to withstand the work of the enemy of our soul and to stand firm. And all he asks is that you read it. Is that you read it.
we, the called, the beloved, we have been brought into his family by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of his grace. We are children of God. John chapter 1, verse 4, uh, 12. And to those who received him, I said it just a moment ago, he gave the right to become children of God. You are a child of God. We were all like the prodigal son. All of us. We all of us were took off, walked away. <coughs> And one day we realise the state of our heart and our soul and we turned back to God and he received us with open arms. So many pictures in scripture, so many pictures of this great love of God. Ephesians, can we go to Ephesians chapter 1? Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the kind intention which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. I read the uh, New American Standard because it's a word-for-word word -word translation, but it's a little bit um, kind of difficult to understand. I don't know what your translations are, but the NIV probably says it in much more understandable English. Um, verse 3 tells us that we are um, blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Who is the we? Who is blessed by every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus? Yeah, beliefs. How do you know how they described yeah, children of God, but how are they described in Ephesians 1? Saints, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. So the saints, those who are full of faith in Ephesus, saints by calling, saints uh, as opposed to sinners, saints, those people that God has called and have responded to his call. Where are you blessed with every spiritual blessing? In yeah, in heavenly places, but in heavenly places like where? In Christ. in Christ. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. 
in Christ Jesus, there is no spiritual blessing, spiritual blessing outside of Christ Jesus. It is all found in Christ Jesus. You have to be in Christ to receive those spiritual blessings. And you, Paul is writing to those people who are in Christ because he calls them saints. We are in Christ Jesus. We are being blessed with every spiritual blessing and, what, and, and will be continued to be blessed. What is God going to do to bless us? According to Ephesians, he says, Blessed be the, Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And then he says, who has, um, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. So according to Paul, what are the first blessings that he mentions? Holiness, Holiness and blameless. blamelessness. That's a blessing. Oh my goodness, how the world has turned that upside down. How your flesh turns that upside down. Holiness, that's a blessing. Oh my goodness, that sounds like a juicy. That sounds like something I don't want to be. That sounds like something who would want to be holy. Maybe, yeah. Well, we are. We have received every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And God is making us holy and blameless because he has chosen to make everyone who is in Christ holy and blameless. <coughs> that is part of the spiritual blessing. When, and what's the second part? Sorry, Mike, what's the second part? Well, holy and blameless, and what? And what? What next? Yeah, adoption. Adoption of sons. When will that happen? Romans eight. Go to Romans eight, verse nineteen to twenty-three. With God, nothing is just one-dimensional. Romans eight nineteen to twenty-three. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for what? The our, for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. There is a sense in which our adoption is not totally fulfilled until our bodies are redeemed. So there is a sense of, yes, we are already and still it's coming. Yes, we are holy and blameless and still we are being make, made holy and blameless. Yes, because we are in Christ Jesus, all of this is true. But there is a process working out. And God has decided, he has decided that we will go along with that work. That we will be a part of that work. Why has he done it all? According to Ephesians chapter 1. Why has he done everything that he's done? Because he loves us. And is a repeated phrase all the way down those 14 verses. 
to the praise of his glory. He has done it for the praise of his glory. There is something about you being made holy and blameless, about you being adopted as a child of God by the redemption of your body that shouts glory, that shouts glory to God. Who was the grace bestowed upon? Us, believers in the Lord Jesus, where was it bestowed? Yeah, but where is it bestowed on us? I've already told, said it, in crisis. I'm just trying to see if you've actually woken up yet. In Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, the grace was bestowed upon you. Do you see it? God chose before the foundation of the world that those who put their trust in Jesus Christ would be made holy and blameless. He chose, he predestined before the foundation of the world that anyone who responded to the gospel message would be adopted finally by the redemption of their body. He chose willingly to do that because you put your trust in the Lord Jesus. He has freely done that. Why? Because he is love. Because he is love. And not just those Ephesians. Who else? All believers down through time. All believers down through time. Get to the end of Ephesians. We're just going to stop in about two minutes for um, a break. I think I've already said, is there anything more marvellous than that? Is there anything more amazing? And if there is, check yourself out. Honestly, I want to say that. Check yourself out. If you hear these words or read these words and think about them and meditate on them and they don't cause you to shout praises to God, then you haven't understood something about the the words. God chose to make me holy and blameless in Christ Jesus. I don't know where you were before you came to Christ, but I know where I was. And he said, here's the gospel, Anne. Here's the gospel, Kim. Will you believe it? Will you take my hand and walk with me? And I hadn't got a clue what that meant. I said yes and suddenly glory glory is it any wonder then that at the end of this chapter Paul will pray for this reason I too having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. 
These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. So today, as we seek to understand and receive this love of God that's found in Christ Jesus, I want you to ask, we're going to stop for coffee, but I really would ask you to sit for 10 seconds in your seat and ask God to burn these truths into your heart and on your soul. Ask him, Lord, I don't know this well enough. Will you please burn it into my heart so that I hold on to this when I leave today? That I will... Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. Ask him to help you to lay hold of it. These are promises promises, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. Will you just sit for 10 seconds and pray, Lord God, help me to know this. Help me to know you, the God who says this. This is salvation. This is what it means to be saved. This is mercy and grace and love and, and forgiveness. This is, this is how precious you were to God. It took the life of his son to buy you back. And he paid the price because he wanted to. Because he wanted to because of the great love with which he loved you. Father, I do pray that you would burn this onto my heart, Lord, and just imprint it like a branding iron onto my soul, that I never forget that you have done this, that this is true, that this is a description of me, that I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, that you have chosen to make me holy and blameless in him, and that in love you predestined me to adoption as sons, and that I will be physically redeemed. I will receive a new body, and Lord, it will be glorious. Lord, help me to understand these things, to lay hold of them, and to pray on the basis of them. Help me to see beyond the circumstances of this life, beyond what's happening here on this planet, to see you in all your glory and to know that I will be with you in glory. Help me to understand the surpassing greatness of power that is at work towards me, the riches of my inheritance in the saints. Lord God, help me to see. And then help me to praise you, Lord, with everything in me. Help me to praise you with my words and with my life. Help me to praise you as I drink coffee and as I chat. Help me to speak of you in awe and wonder. 
and make you known as I do. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen.